You're live on Joy 99.7 FM. This is Ghana Connect. My name is Evans Mensah. In the last few weeks, Ghana has been begging. And we're looking for uh, as quickly as possible a credit committee to be established so we will have uh, uh, the body with whom we can engage to bring those discussions as well as quickly as possible. We have good relations with China. We'd like you to, <laughs> to encourage China to participate. A very important consideration for us is the Financial Stability Fund that has been promised as one of the, the, the key outcomes of these negotiations. And At an international forum over the last uh, week, the president, our president, made the point on behalf of the rest of the African continent that, yeah, the rest of the world have left Africa to fend for itself. We on the continent have been left alone to fend for ourselves. We saw that during the COVID-19 pandemic, when even access to vaccines became a major problem for the African continent. And soon we'll be sending a delegation, a delegation to China to beg even more. We've begged Germany. We've begged Europe, and now we will be sending in March. Once the Chinese finish with their Congress, yes, they can't even meet us because they're holding a Congress. They can't because you're holding a Congress. We'll send a delegation there to beg even more. In a few days, Ghana will turn 66 years. We'll be 66 and still begging. And the government that promised Ghana beyond aid. In fact, it's so bad that the Germans, the German chief diplomat in Ghana, the ambassador, Daniel Crow is now even urging members of parliament and Ghanaian businessmen with interest in China to join the begging train. The president, the minister of finance, have appealed to the German visitors to support Ghana in convincing China to come to the table. We are ready to do that. We already are in that. At the same time, I would like to encourage all Ghanaians who have strong ties with China, who are do, doing well, nice business with China, to also engage them and convince them that it's time to sit down with all the other creditors and agree on a package. Time is of the essence. Time is running out. Um, without this agreement with the bilateral creditors, the IMF package is in a, in a severe, uh, is in severe danger. So um, if there's any Ghanaian uh, member of parliament listening um, who is um, uh, very much engaged with business in China, um, please make best use in the interest of, of Ghana and the people in Ghana. I said Germany is prepared to have... Mm. So that's the uh, German ambassador to Ghana, De Daniel Crow. And, and all this is happening just days before our Independence Day. We will celebrate a day we became very proud country. We became masters of our own destiny. We'll be 66 years. And Dr. Kuma was, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah was so confident 66 years ago when he made this declaration. There is a new African in the world. That new African is ready to fight his own battle and show that after all, the black man is capable of managing the whole of us. Tonight, a simple question, really. Are we? 
I'm joining. I'm joined by many connectors uh, here in Ghana and across the globe. Uh, Enes Ayim is a tax expert and a graduate student with an interest in economics and policy, uh, public policy. Uh, professor Obodele Kombon is an associate professor and research coordinator of language, literature, drama section of the African Studies Department, University of Ghana. Jodpoku is an accountant and radio show host. Connects with us from Georgia in the USA. Uh, Dr. Lloyd Amwa is a director of the Center for Asian Studies. The University of Ghana. Julius Anthony is a youth activist and graduate student, University of Ghana. Uh, but I want to start first with a, a member of parliament. And this is on the back of the German ambassador uh, directly mentioning MPs by name and says if there's any MP out there with an interest in China, you better join the train um, and, and get China and, and help getting China to the table. That is part of the begging train. Uh, I, I want to bring in the minorities ranking member on Foreign Affairs Committee. He's your spokesperson on that subject and joins us on the telephone line right now. Samuel Kujita Blackwa, thank you very much for your time here on Ghana Connect. Okay, we'll get him when he joins us. We'll get his thoughts on this. Let me go to my connectors who are joining us right now on the telephone line. And before we even go to the fundamental questions posed to us by Nkrumah, who is long dead, but his his uh, declaration is now asking us very serious questions as we approach independence. I, I bet all of you possibly would have heard the German ambassador to Ghana and what he's been saying today. If you haven't, He's actually now telling us about some things we should do ourselves to fix our own problem, including dealing with our own size of government. He compares it to his own, his own government. Did I hear you right? You said size of the government? Well, I only can compare and, and, uh, with, uh, with other countries like my own, and I, I can just come to the conclusion that there's a huge number of... Uh, 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 the number is much higher than, than in my country. Um, so that might bring me to the conclusion maybe there's room for improvement. And, uh, and we, we have a very, very, Ghana has a very, very um, dense, uh, uh, dense layers of institutions and responsibilities all over the country. The number is much higher than, than in my country. I cannot go out to the international community say I need help, but I'm not willing to cut my own, my, my own budget expenditures. Mm. I want to start with you, uh, Prof. Uh, Prof. Come on, if you're on with me, you, this is this is a foreign diplomat in our country holding a press conference and telling us what you've just had there. Give me your reaction. Uh, well, man, so uh, there are several uh, books that will be useful. So I'm going to start off with those uh, before um, you know we come directly into what was just said. Uh, some of them include neo-colonialism, the last stage of imperialism, Banana Kwame Nkrumah, where he actually defines neo-colonialism as the state in which the state has all the outward trappings of independence. That is to say, um, it has a flag, it has a national anthem, it has all of these things. However, you know, economically, all the strings are pulled from the outside. So that's one uh, text he puts a lot of what we're seeing right now in context. Another text that would be useful is uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. And in that, essentially, the author uh, goes through his own role in assuring that he could bring uh, various quote-unquote third world countries into the political sphere of the so-called West by, you know, essentially cooking up numbers, economic numbers, so forth and so on, in order to get them to take loans. And then once they take the loans, the loans are not actually transferred to the country 
they're transferred to their cousins because the conditionality is that, oh, for this loan, you have to use this contractor from, for example, the U.S., or you have to use, you know, these materials that are coming from the U.S. So literally the, the aid is only going from one U.S. account to another U.S. account, and it never actually hits there. So they make money off of that. But then in addition to that, the country that supposedly got that aid has to pay it back plus all types of exorbitant uh, interest. And what they do is essentially they have, those are the economic hitmen. And if you have a leader who decides that he's not going to go along with it, the main thing that they would do is make sure that, that president died in a plane crash. So we saw that, you know, on the continent, uh, Nana, Samara, Michelle, you saw that, uh, you know, in terms of Ecuador, all of these leaders who wanted to stand up to the so-called West, that it was either we will enrich you personally or we will kill you in a plane crash. Uh, another uh, text that I'm actually reading right now is called White Malice, and it's the CIA and the covert recolonization of Africa, and essentially goes into these same things. So the reason why I bring this up is because, you know, it's essentially, you know, being between a rock and a hard place, where if you go for, you know, these uh, loans and things of that nature, then, you know, they'll say, I right, will enrich you personally, but if you don't go for them, then they say that we'll kill you, you know, directly. And we have so many cases of either being killed. For example, Nana Thomas Sankara and his address to other African leaders, he says that, you know, if we don't, do not pay, he's talking about foreign debt, the capital lenders will not die, and I'm quoting him. If we pay, we will die. We cannot pay and we don't want to pay. We are not responsible for the debt burden. We have already paid a lot of the debt. We are asked to cooperate in researching balance mechanisms, balance in favor of those who own the financial institutions and use the power against the peoples. We cannot be accomplices. The Paris Club is there. Let's create the Addis Ababa Club for canceling our foreign debt. Our club should say our debt will not be paid. We should explain in other conferences that we cannot pay. We must be united. Otherwise, individually, we will be murdered. Avoiding debt repayment is a conditional sine qua non to allow us to free resources for our own development. So he said that in 1986 at the OAU, but then of course we know what happened to him in 1987. So this is what we're seeing, um, you know, of those who either will not allow themselves to get into debt in the first place, or those who say that All right, we're already in debt either from uh, so-called independence or whatever. Um, but again, we see this play time and time again. So essentially, before we start the conversation, I just want to situate it in the context of what happened to the good leaders who said we won't get in debt in the first place or who said we won't pay the debt. And then it helps us to understand why our misleaders are doing the types of things that they're doing because they've seen examples of those who have, you know, tried to buck the system. And then so, can, so that, uh, so that gives us a, a setting historical context for the conversation. Do I hear you say that the our current predicament is fundamentally down to neocolonialism? Very much so, very much so. So there are internal aspects to a neocolonialism, and then there are also external aspects to a neocolonialism. And, and I'm going to come to and you to expand. I'm going to come to you, Prof, to expand, but that's a very okay. interesting interesting beginning uh, take on the, on the subject. Ernest is joining us, uh, connecting also with us. Ernest, do you agree with that? Thanks, Evans. So I, I think that principally we are also architects of our own misfortune because if you look at um, what we have done since independence we have not managed to live within our means we have 
always gone over budget and consistently governments over the years have spent beyond their means and this has spiraled up uh, fiscal deficits which have accumulated into public debts over time. So um, I think that principally we can always point an accusing finger at the Western powers, but we also should remember that some of our fingers will also be pointing down to us. So we should also look within and find out how we have contributed to the situation we find ourselves now as a country. Okay, so so that's that's a balancing view there uh, from what Prof's position. Uh, let me expand this e- even more and, and bring in George Poku, who is connecting with us from the US. He's, he lives in one of those so-called imperialist countries. And so he's a man who migrated from here and went there and, and, and just make a living there. Uh, George, thanks for connecting uh, with us. But you've heard the two positions as expressed there. We've been begging, as I've just been explaining there for quite a while, and, and it's been intensified because of our current economic conditions. The two views is, one, neocolonialism is fundamentally, fundamentally to blame. The second view is, you know, we should take part of the blame. Are you in the camp of neocolonialism? We should take part of the blame, or we should take all the blame? Where, where do you put this? Um, <clears throat> I am in the camp of we should take all the blame, because at the end of the day, the country has continuously shown that we are bereft of leadership. We are bereft of people that can take the bull by the horn. Malaysia, which also was colonized by the British and um, got independence roughly around the same time we got independence, was left with less resources than the Brits left for us, our own money that they left for us. But now we go back to Malaysia with a pan in our hand and our hands in our hands, begging them. Leaders since the days of, uh, let me just put it this way, after Kwame Nkrumah up till now, have not had a clear view of where they want to put this country and how they are going to do it, point blank period. And so we haven't had any leaders that have the testicular fortitude to say that this is the way the country is going to go. I am not going to pander to anything, but I am going to set the country on a path for success. And that is why we are where we are. We should not blame real colonialism. Again, half of the people that have ruled the country after Kwame Nkrumah have all, even including Kwame Nkrumah, have all been educated by the Westerns. So you, you definitely are going to have undertones of how they think and how things happen. But the thing about it is we just lack the right leaders that will sacrifice. Greed is killing us, one. Two, lack of good leadership. And three, just plain old people not learning from history. If you allow history to repeat itself, it definitely is, charging, is going to charge you a higher price. And that is what we are looking at right now. George, George let, 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 me, let me pick your thought on, on something. Because you live in a, in, in a white man's country, let me ask you that. You, I'm pretty sure you heard the German ambassador to Ghana and the things that he was yes. saying directly at the press conference to ask the Ghanaian people. Because, of course, yes. we, he's, he's earned the right to say so many have said because we are, we've gone to them to beg. You, you listen to him as a Ghanaian li- living in the U.S. How does that make you feel? I am appalled. I am absolutely and totally appalled. Because, again, it shouldn't take um, the German chancellor or counselor to come and tell us that we are running a government that is too big to manage. 85 ministers of state, that is what they are trimming it down to. What are they doing? 
and these have deputies and deputy deputies and deputy deputy deputies and all of these people are getting cars being bought for them house help being high to them police being detailed to them this is a country that is not living within its means if i make ten dollars a month and i'm spending 25 dollars where is the devil in this where is the the, the the sense in that at the end of the day you events you know what you make at the end of the month and you try to live your life within what you have to do we have heard about the year of return brought three point something billion cities where is the money where did the money go and why are we got to where we are going out to bed we have gone through erp we have gone through sap again I, like i said i think the last written developmental plan of ghana that was not given to us by either the World Bank or the IMF. It's um, the one that the champion wrote, I think, around 1979. After that, every sort of developmental plan we have gone to has been by virtue of the fact that we have gone to these agencies for help and they have given us a way for us to live and structure our lives. Okay. Uh, George, stay with me. Uh, let me bring in quickly J- uh, Julius who joined us. He's a young man. Um, I want to hear from that young generation. When you wake up today, you've been told about the heroics of the uh, freedom fighters, etc., and how Ghana was a very proud nation back then. And remember, actually, he's a, a current finance minister who one of the fundamental reasons he insisted we shouldn't go to the IMF because he says, quote him, Ghana is a proud nation. We are proud people, but we've gone. Right, and now we have the Germans hold the press conference to tell us what we need to do. They're dictating to us now. Um, I want to bring in a staunch and crewmized uh, Kwame Jantua, who's joining us right now, connecting with us via Zoom. Hello, uh, Kwame. Good evening, good evening to your viewers, and good evening to the other panelists. And and, and I, I invited Kwame to connect because uh, he sent me a very interesting uh, message. Uh, when we started the show, and this is Ghana Connecting, so anybody can do so. Send me one, and if I see that you have a uh, you you have a very interesting passion to the point, obviously I can invite you to join the conversation. This is the people's conversation. Uh, Kwame, let, let, let's let's come to you first before you even go into the you know the dynamics of how this plays out uh, in the context of our independence. And we are doing we are we're going to have a series of conversations because we are approaching six years. We need to reflect. Um, guess you you've been listening to the German ambassador. Um, I, I wonder what. How does that make you feel as an incrumized? I cringe. I cringe. Today is fifty-seven years after the death, after the overthrow of President Nkrumah. And really, what have we done to help this country? I didn't think that it was up to the president to beg the Germans, to beg the Chinese for us. Why couldn't he get up himself and go straight to China? and speak with the president of China, especially looking at where we are today with our finances. And now we get the Germans telling us that it depends on how we look at our expenditure. How many people having told the government that cut your expenditure? How many? Since January of this year, have we not been saying it? Have we not talked about it? The economists in this country, have we not talked about it? Even the way we even looked at how to do this uh, reconstruction, shouldn't we have sat around the table as a country with our top economists, and we have top economists in this country, to sit and discuss what we were going to put in front of the IMF? Did we do it? 
And when he said, look, we are not interested in you keeping the finance minister there, what did the president tell us? Look, it's a shame and it is sad and it is very embarrassing to hear our partners tell us that we should cut our expenditure. Why is the president so stubborn? What is it about him that he doesn't want to listen to the people of Ghana? And you know what gets to me? is the people of Ghana who put him there. He didn't get there on his own. And he should listen to us. You see, we've forgotten the, the, the crucial bit of being in power. Service to the people. Service. You are there to serve us. And you're there to listen to us. You're not there to, 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 to push your ideas onto us. It is us and you. We can put you there. We all can go there and handle the country's uh, uh, finances and handle the country. So he said, you go there. And for all the things that this president told us, and looking at the background of this president, and I've known him since I was 15. He was one of the youngest people in my father's generation when they were fighting a Champions Union government. One of the youngest. So he's been through the mill. And for all the head of states we had in this country, he's one person who understands my father's generation and this generation. What has gone wrong? Mm. Uh, Kwame, stay with me. I, I want to open up the conversation a bit more from the, the initial reactions. And I want to come back to that very initial question we're asking. And we'll go to the uh, the, the Nkrumah question uh, later. But then the question, um, uh, Prof uh, Campbell, and I come back to you. So we've been begging for quite a while. You started by suggesting that this 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 penchanta bag is possibly fundamental because of the architecture laid for us by the neo-colonialist. Is that your fundamental explanation for why Africa has been begging and still continues to beg ourselves today? So, as I was about to say, there's a quote by Amana Kwame Ture, where he says that you can understand no problem in the lives of an oppressed people and leave out the oppressor. Anytime you try to, you know, understand the problems of the oppressed people and leave out the oppressor, you will always blame the oppressed people for their own problems. And then there's a quote by noted uh, psychologist, the late Nana uh, Amos Wilson, where he says, if you want to understand any problem, don't look at who suffers from the problem, look at who benefits from the problem. And once we understand who benefits from the problem, we will understand who created the problem in the first place, including the problem of the misleaders, right? So when we have those who are educated in the so-called West, when we have uh, those whose orientation is such that every Sunday they go to church to, pr to pray to a white man, right? I'm tying all of these things together that these things can't be seen in a vacuum. If you have someone who is taught to think that uh, God's only son looks exactly like the one who is giving them aid, that's going to have repercussions. If you have people who have all types of white people names, all of these things are going to have uh, you know, implications in terms of what they do and what they don't do. So again, most people who I know, they only look at the internal uh, aspect. And I see the uh, equivalent would be like a child in a high school, and they think that everything stops with the headmaster. They think that everything stops with the principal. But until they understand that there's a much broader system that has things that are, yes, going on inside of the high school, but then there are also things beyond the high school. There's the school board. There's the Ministry of Education. There are all these things that are interacting. Then they can start to understand what's going on internally 
and then also what's going on externally. They can start to understand how the misleaders are chosen for us, right? We're taught to think that, you know, we elect our own uh, leaders, but then it, we have to come to the question of, we have counter evidence of that. When we, you know, decided on Nana Patrice Lumumba, what happened externally to make sure that Patrice Lumumba, who were chosen internally by the people, would not see it through his entire term? What happened to Nana Kwame Nkrumah? What happened to Nana Thomas Sankara, as I mentioned before? I can go down a list of no less than dozens. Yeah, but, but, but Prof, many will tell you and, and ask you the question. I mean, all the examples you're citing, this is, this is history. We are talking about 2023. We, we're still seriously blaming something that happened decades ago. And by the way, Africa is not the only continent colonized. Many, many other countries were colonized who are currently first world. So what's the difference there? So as I was mentioning, there are internal components and external components. The reason why I'm talking about the external components is because most people only know about the internal components. And then they, again, what it leads them to is, all right, so now let's go beat up other Africans because we're our own problems, we're our own worst enemy, we're all so forth. So if we understand that this is people's analysis and every single person I've met has this analysis, then it comes to the question of how come that analysis has not led us anywhere. For me, one thing that we have to understand is that we have enemies and then once we have, we know we have enemies, now we can start doing things internally in order to uh, fight off those enemies. And the analogy is if there's a killer in your house, right then you can sit, you can start blaming yourself and say you know what i think my uh wife was stabbed because i didn't sweep the floor well oh i think that my granny was you know mutilated because i didn't wash the dishes you're trying to look only internally but you're not dealing with the killer that is in your house and this for me is inappropriate behavior so the first thing that you have to do to take responsibility is say i have enemies what am I going to do about those enemies? How am I going to stop those enemies? But and, and, and who, and who in this contest... We have enemies in the first place. Yeah, and this so contest... We can never take appropriate steps to say, how can I stop them from getting me trapped in debt? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to ask a question on that. So in, in, in this particular contest, who should be asking these questions? So for me, it would be the Ghanaians who have a bad analysis of the situation. They can only see up to the president and they don't see anything beyond the president. Okay, and, and then the follow-up question will be if the Ghanaians, we are 66 years soon, for 66 years, why, we haven't been asking these questions and finding answers to them for 66 years? Is that even an excuse? Come again. I'm, I'm, I'm just asking, you said, you said the Ghanaian, we Ghanaians should be asking these questions and finding answers. 66 years. What happened to asking these questions? for 66 years and finding the solution. 66 is a long time to ask and solve. Well, the, the foundation is that there is no educational system in Ghana. There's only a miseducational system. And this is the reason why we have a poor analysis of just about everything that you can imagine. So when I say that there's no educational system, the miseducational system, an example would be most Ghanaians who I know, they know all about Napoleon and they're taught to extol him. They know about Julius Caesar, and they're taught to extol him. They know about Plato, they know about Socrates, they know about every white man who ever sneezed, but they know absolutely nothing about themselves. I, I teach intro to African studies, so I know that these people have been miseducated. They don't know anything they've ever done in the past, and therefore it's very difficult for them to think for themselves about what they can do in the future. The best that they tend to do is imitate the people who they've been taught to idolize, 
They know about Socrates. They don't know about Imhotep. They know about Napoleon. They don't know about Dessalines. They know about Julius Caesar, but then they don't know about Queen Nzinga. They don't know anything about who they are. And I'm talking about these are students. When I come to intro to African studies class, I ask them, what do you think of when you think of Africa? They say poverty, corruption, you know, greed, mismanagement, bribery, so forth and so on. And I say, I'm amazed that you didn't mention writing because writing was invented in Africa. They have no idea. They have been miseducated. But, and very interesting thoughts, Prof. And I, I may add to that list. They know about Spider-Man, but they don't know about Kwikwa Nancy. Um, George, what do you say to Prof? What do you say to Prof on, on his position on why we continue begging and Ghana have been begging, begging the last few weeks? I, I, I want to um, say something about something that Kwame said before I come to a prophecy. Feel free, please. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, Kwame was asking why Kufuado cannot go and speak directly to the Chinese um, president rather than trying to go through Germany or through some adversaries. One, Kufuado speaks like we are first world and behaves like that, but we are not. Geopolitically, we know that China sides with Russia. And since the beginning of this Russia-Ukraine war, Akufuadu has constantly been pointing fingers at Russia and bashing Russia, knowing very well that your biggest creditor is their ally. And you continue on that geopolitical path. When you need help, you cannot go directly to them. Because again, it is going to not sit well with somebody like Putin. Like, hey, this guy has been he has nothing but he's been speaking down to me because of this Russia-Ukraine war and you decide to help him. So we need to know where we are in the geopolitical world and ponder accordingly. But um, to the point that um, Prof is making, Prof, I understand all you are saying. I mean, it's it's one of the biggest things about um, we as Ghanaians and we as Africans. We forget about our history and our way of doing things, and we bring in what um, somebody else gave to us. I can agree with that. When you start practicing African traditional religion, they will tell you you are um, being fetish, but they would accept what the Catholics have brought in quite nicely and not complain about it at all. But both are being fetish. We were here when um, the Queen died, and we saw a goat being taken and using it to do tofiakwa, tofiakwa before they killed it in order to send off um, the queen. But if you as an African, you take, you wake up in the morning and you say, and you take a, a, a cock and do the same thing, they will tell you you are being fetish. So I understand your point. But when we come to the economics of it, um, I, I seriously don't think neocolonialism is what is doing us in. It is one, lack of serious leadership. Two, greed that you mentioned. Um, in a book that was written by Thomas Burgess called The Looting Machine, Thomas Burgess was able to outline how one Chinese man called Sampa was able to accumulate more land in a country like Angola than the, the, um, the Angolians themselves had. And he was pillaging that land. That same process started happening in Ghana when Galamse started. But we turned a blind eye like an ostrich. We put our head in the ground and continued borrowing. We went there borrowing, borrowing. It, it is, there are a lot of examples in Africa 
whereby the Chinese have moved in and now states that were independent and sovereign have become vassal states to the Chinese because they would give you, they would give you, they would give you a time will come that they will come back and say, okay, um, since you can't pay now, this is what we are going to do. In, in, in the process of doing that, they start amassing state properties and literally take over your country. There were examples there. We weren't, we weren't, it's not like we don't know. We know these countries, Tanzania, all of these countries, they are there in East Africa that have gone through this. So why did we sit down? Um, there is an adage in that I can't say that if you see somebody's beard, beard burning, you just fetch water and put it by yourself. Don't say it, 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 it's not your case because it could come to you. So you have to be prepared. So leadership is what has let us down because again, when you see state property being taken over or state-run institutions being taken over by Chinese of sovereign African countries and them now appointing Chinese people to head those agencies, these countries have become vassal countries to China. So why do we, a country that is that endowed, allow ourselves to get to this point. Okay, so you've added a, a different dimension. We're begging because of greed. Okay, so let's go to the big question that Nkrumah is asking us 66 years on. We need to assess something he said. And, and, and Ernest, I'll bring you in first and then I'll go to uh, Kwame uh, Jantua on that. And I want, before I bring you Ernest in, I wanted to listen to that, one of my favorite quotes from Dr. Kwame Nkrumah. This is Dr. Kwame Nkrumah. Um, just a little over 66 years ago when he was so proud, so proud of the Ghanaian and what we can achieve when we take on the rest of the world. We agreed on terms. There is a new African in the world. That new African is ready to fight his own battle and show that after all, the black man is capable of managing the whole of us. And as was Nkrumah right or wrong? Nkrumah, I think Nkrumah is right. We are capable of managing our own affairs. But the state we find ourselves now has not given credence to Nkrumah's belief because of how we have managed our affairs since independence. If we had taken Nkrumah seriously and seen that, okay, these are the resources we have as a nation, this, uh, this is where we want to go. This is the plan. We work with it, irrespective of which government is in power or which government is not in power. And we keep on with the, um, with the vision. We would have gotten somewhere. Countries like Malaysia, Singapore, and some of the East Asian Tigers have followed a path of industrialization since um, um, like independence from the time. They were also colonized. But they had a plan. They had a national vision, a national agenda. So the question is, what is Ghana doing? Are we following a, a conscious path of progress, or we are just going through a, an eight-year cycle of manifestos that doesn't seem to solve the perennial issues that is um, confronting the nation? So we need to have a national conversation, look at our problems objectively, and ask ourselves, what are the resources available to us? What are the, um, the challenges we confront? Then how do we overcome these challenges with the resources that uh, is at our disposal? We are a blessed country. We have a good human resource. We have um, some of the brightest um, young workforce in, in Africa. And we can rise above the challenge. But if our leadership will not look at the situation 
and and and, and put the resources where they ought to, but rather engage in other flagship projects which do not really solve the pro problem of, of this nation. Then we just come and complain and everything will keep happening. We need to have a conscious national plan that seeks to address the fundamental problem Just one large challenge to you and the Kwame will come in. We need to have a national conscious plan. Listen, I've heard that for as long as I've been alive and I'm pretty sure those who've been alive older than me have also heard it too. 66 years on, this is where we are. Almost every five years go to the IMF. If you look at the Nkrumah's declaration there in the context of the reality of today, have we proved him right or have we proved him wrong? Hello, Enes. So, sorry, Evans, is that a question to me? Yeah, yeah, to you, very briefly. Very bri if you look at the context and the reality of today, have we proved him right or proved him wrong? We have... If Mkuma was alive, he would have been disappointed in our performance today. But I don't think all hope is lost. I'm a young Ghanaian who believes that there's really hope for the future. Once we get leadership right, there's a, a, a good hope for, for us as a country. Kwame, to, to you, you are the Nkrumais in this conversation. The Nkrumah makes the bold declaration. The, uh, the black African, the black man is capable of managing his own affairs. Clearly, IMF is you know knocking at our door again. The Germans are dictating to us what we should do and what we shouldn't do, and what 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 they give us, what they won't give us, etc. I mean, sixty-six years on, we are still begging and begging and begging. Isn't that the obvious evidence that uh, we, we we simply are incapable? Is it the obvious evidence? What did Nkrumah himself start from? He started with a development plan, and by the time Nkrumah was overthrown, what didn't we have in this country? What couldn't we do in this country? And so you'd have thought those who overthrew him would take over and probably even with the factories, continue with the factories. Which of the factories are standing today? The last ones that are standing, the textile factories, where are they today? Where are they today? And what have we been able to replace with what we lost? So I'll give an example. The NDC government came in and did a 40-year national development plan. The NDC government came in and did a, a constitutional review uh, committee. The 40-year national development plan is about 994, uh, 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 no, the, 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 the constitutional review is about 994 pages. Equally, the long-term development plan that was done by the NDC is around those number of pages. And everything that is in this country, in terms of the natural resource, the interviewing of people, how we should put a national development plan together, was done. This development plan was handed over to President Akufuado 2017. Where is it? Where is it? Because, uh, Evans, the uh, manifestos have not helped us. When parties come into power, they throw the manifestos away. They don't even refer to the manifestos anymore. Look at this fourth republic. Take what has happened in this fourth republic and take what happened in Nkrumah's first republic. Put the two together and see which of the two was better. Look, the, 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 the natural resource we have in our human beings here, that, that's the, the most important natural resource we have. How have we been able to change the mindset of the people? Everybody yeah. is begging. But but, but you, you ask you ask the question how? I mean the answer is obvious. We haven't been able to change the mindset. That's failure. But 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 yeah, but but you but you ask but you ask why? 
some may answer that question because we're simply not capable. We're not we're capable. I, I don't think it's about capability. Yeah, Kwame, hold that thought for a second. Let me just want to hear from George and I'll come back to you, Kwame. George, yes? No, we are capable. It's just that the people that are supposed to start it are the ones that are not doing it. Because, um, again, it starts from the head and it trickles down. So since the leadership has not been gotten right, we cannot get it right. Until that leadership situation is addressed, trust me, Everything we do is just seriously just um <laughs> it's just for aesthetics. Kwame. And, um I want to say I want to say something about Ernest. Um please go on. Ernest, the situation the situation is this we need to stop relying on manifestos like Kwame just said and start turning the development plans into laws that any government that comes cannot override. But you think, but you think, but you think, but you think if we could, we would have done it by now? Do you think they don't know? No, 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 no. It's just that every, every, every party has um, some political equity that they don't want to relinquish. Because if they follow that system of laying it as a law, that if I am building the, the, the houses in Salanubu or wherever it is, and you come, you cannot say, you are not going to finish it, but rather it's it's mandatory that you finish it before we go for another loan to come and do something else. This nonsense will stop. But because every government wants to borrow their own borrowing and the greed, squander their own squandering, that is why we cannot finish projects and we have so many white elephant projects scattered over Ghana without it being finished. And we keep borrowing to start new ones all the old ones are not done. Yeah, I mean, George, George, let me bring back Kwame. George, I mean, Kwame, George is just making the point, those who answered that Nkrumah question in, in the negative, is making us stronger. Both of you, George and Kwame, you both complain and complain and complain about what happened after Nkrumah. All is about things we haven't done, how we have failed. Isn't that just buttressing the point that Nkrumah possibly after 66 years, we've just shown that we just can't do it. Oh, but why was Nkrumah able to do it? Was he able to do it? Why, why, why was Nkrumah able to build all those factories? Why was Nkrumah able to, to get independence for a lot of African countries? You know, the challenge we have in Ghana today is lack of leadership and the partisanship. We've got to be able to stop that. We've got to be able to say, hey, Mr. Uh, Ex-President, come, let's sit, let's talk. Mr. Sasson Zogia, come, let's sit, let's talk, and put the partisanship aside. Look, once we finish elections, it's building the nation that matters, not building a political party. And you see in this country, we tend to build political parties above building the nation. So if you're not part of us, you're not in the game. Well, how can you rule a country that way? How? Because everybody can contribute to the building of the nation. Do they allow everybody to be part and parcel of it? Look, yesterday in Parliament, when fisticuffs nearly flow over this uh, EEC uh, uh, bill, yeah. when fisticuffs nearly flow, what does that tell you? We don't trust each other. And anybody who brings anything to Parliament, there's an ulterior motive why. Couldn't parliamentarians sit down and iron out these things? But, 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 Kwame, but Kwame, in fact, all of you have said it, in fact, but possibly the exception of Prof. 
yourself, George, and Ennis, all of you say you're pointing the finger at, yeah, our leaders, our parliamentarians, but they are a product of this environment. They are like me and you before they became politicians. So while yes, we go and, and we and we elect them from amongst us. So why are we pointing at them and forgetting that they are what three more fingers pointing, pointing back at us? Evans, remember, we have put them there, and if we put them there, they should be able to change their mindset and do what the people are looking for. But how how, how do you expect them to do that when the rest of society hasn't done that? Evans, can I can I come in on that? Point? Okay, just a second, just a second. Let Kwame wrap up on this point, and you can come in and hear from Prof. Say, say that again, Evans. Why what? I'm saying you expect them to change your mindset once you appoint them. Suddenly, then they, but they are still part of this environment. They are part. The, the fact that they are still part of the environment doesn't mean that they cannot look at the entire spectrum of what's happening in the country and say to themselves, uh, 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 this is not right. Let's try and change it as leaders, as leaders. When you go to a classroom and a teacher gets into the classroom and she sees some of the people's misbehaving, they might be great people in the uh, children in the class. She said, mm -mm 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 -mm. I'm not going to allow this to happen. Are leaders doing that with us? I don't think they are. Okay, Kwame, stay with me. Let me bring in George. George, you said you had something to say to that question. No, it was Prof. Oh, Prof. Yes, Prof, go on. Yes, I do. Um, so in all of these cases, what we're doing is we are mixing up the cause with the effect, or we're rather looking at the effect of something and then thinking that that effect is the cause. So if we have poor leaders, we're not getting into the question of why do we have poor leaders, who benefits from us having poor leaders, and then we'll get into the reason why those poor leaders are there in the first place. And again, the point I made in the chat is that these leaders don't come from Mars. They come directly from the followers who have the exact same created tastes, desires, and values implanted in them for the benefit of the people who put those created tastes, desires, and values into them in the first place. So if I go to the leader and I ask the leader, do you want to travel to Dubai? They will say yes. And then I go to the follower, and then the follower will also say yes. The only difference is one of opportunity. If I go to a leader and say, would you like a Lexus SUV? They say yes. I go to the follower and say, do you want a Lexus SUV? They also say yes. Again, the only difference is opportunity. All of them have the same tastes and desires. For who planted those tastes and desires into them? In the first place? Why don't we create our own? Why don't you create our own This is the point that I'm, this is the exact point that I'm driving at. The point is that if we actually had an, an educational system, we would implement what I refer to as functional hatred. Functional hatred. We are not taught to hate our enemies. We're taught to love our enemies. Now, what do I mean? I don't mean you're foaming at the mouth. You want to beat people up. I'm looking at China versus Japan. So some people may know of the Nanking or what's also known as the Nanjing Massacre, where Japan came in, raped the women, killed the men split babies open with swords and so forth and so on. But now later on, when Japan is the first of the Asian tigers to come out with Sony and all these you know, major products, China could have said, oh, we want to support Japan. But what did they do? They implemented what I call functional hatred, which means I hate your thing. I don't want to support your thing. I don't want to buy your thing. I want my own. So rather than going to support the Japanese, 
They have a memory of who their enemies are, and they said rather than going to buy Japanese stuff, we want to create our own things internally. And now we see what China has done with that functional hatred type of policy. I did a, a, a talk on this same topic where I looked at the heads of state of three countries. Now, what do they do? If you look at the uh, head of state of Japan, they drive a Toyota. If you look at the head of state of the US, they drive a Cadillac. If you look at the head of state of the UK, they drive, you know, Rolls Royce. If you go to Italy, it's a Lancia thesis. If you go to uh, France, it's Citroën and Peugeot. If you go to uh, Korea, it's a Hyundai Equus. If you go to any country, that's because they say, I don't care what is the best. I care what is mine. I hate everything else functionally. I only want what's mine. But when we come here, we say, we want what's nice. We want what they have. So rather than us getting what is our own and say, let's have a motorcade of Kantanka, and then let's say Kantanka, every year you have to produce another part indigenously, and we're going to set up 3D printing so you can do that. We're going to say we want Toyotas. So now if I have a land crew, that means we have the same taste. We have the same desire. Both leaders and followers have the exact same taste, desires, and values implanted in them. I remember when Pizza Hut opened up, there was a line all the way across the Crown Mall parking lot so that they could get a taste and the desire that was implanted into them. So until you stop confusing the effect with the actual cause, you will come to say, what caused us to have leaders who want all the same things that are destroying them? What, what, what makes them want to have a vacation in the U.S.? This is no uh, slight to, I think, George is in the U.S. right now. Or all of them want the same things. But until we come to that, and again, we have to operate on the basis of race first. So even though Nana Kwame Nkrumah said the black man is capable of uh, managing his own affairs, he didn't operate on a black first or race first agenda. He dealt with whoever's on the continent, which is why he married who he married, you know, an Arab out of, you know, Egypt. He's talking about black, you know, people managing their own affairs. But if you look at the All African People's Con uh, Conference, they're inviting everyone who is on the continent, whether it's Morocco, Tunisia, Egypt, all these places where they're enslaving black people to this very day, as opposed to saying, let's have Haiti come as an official delegate. No, you're inviting even the Dutch Boers in South Africa are being I mean, and, 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 and bro, you, you, you really drill down to some of the aspects of this that really to take a long time to drill down. And it's, it's far more than just getting it right. The, the nuanced issues that you've touched on. I want to end by asking a simple question. And then I want all of you to look into the crystal ball and do it in 30 seconds for me, if you may. Kwame first. So in this conversation, many of you have tried to diagnose a problem why we continue begging and we're begging. I need to ask you, we are going through this cycle. This is possibly the worst we've seen in, in the long history of begging. Definitely, sometime, and nobody knows when, we'll come out of this crisis. Are you confident that we will stop begging at some point? And remember that, let's put it in this context, this is a, we have a president who started when he came in, championed Ghana Beyond Aid, stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with Macron, and dished out to Macron, and he became an international celebrity for telling Macron to the face that, yeah, listen, we want to we want to eat what we grow, grow what we eat, we want to be self-reliant, of course, but we, the evidence is, is there. The jury is, is now out. So the question, are we going to continue begging in perpetuity, or you think there is at the, there's a point where 
Ghana and the rest of the continent stop begging and become self-reliant and independent. Kwame. Evans at, Evans, at this point, I think it's up to the people of Ghana to make sure that the leaders that we're going to put in power will do what the people want. Every Ghanaian today, and I think every African today, is much, much, much more uh, advanced in mind than Kwame Nkrumah's time. And I believe they would push governments to do what they want them to do. I do agree with Ernest that there is still hope. It isn't all zero, nothing can happen. I think there's still hope. But it's also up to the people of this country to make sure that the leaders that we put in do what we want them to do on behalf. Okay, so you're confident that the time will come that we'll stop begging. Uh, George, you you confident that you share that confidence? Okay, I don't may have don't have job. Uh, no, no, no. You share that I'm, confidence. I'm sorry, yeah. yeah, briefly, briefly. Yes, I, I do share that confidence, but it is going to take um, all of us digging deep and understanding the fact that um, we have the power, they don't have the power. And the question that you asked um, Kwame at the other time, that they are um, a product of the same environment. Even they stood and they showed us something. That is why they got elected. It's not like we went and picked them and just said, come and be our... They showed us that their thought process was slightly different and things like that. But once they get elected, they revert back to who they truly are. So me personally, I think the Ghanaian populace should vet very well who comes to stand in front of them and ask them for that mandate to make sure that they are sending people in there that are not wolves dressed in street clothing. That is going to be the first step to me being able to get out of this perpetual begging. If the mindset does not change, then this is like we going in circles trying to get to a destination that we don't know where it is. So yes, I have hope. But that hope starts from within us, making sure that we individually change our mindset. If I can change one person's mindset, and even if you can change one, one change one, sooner or later, the consciousness is going to catch on and we can start understanding that Kantanka is as good as Lexus like Prof said. Okay. Uh, I, I like your optimism, all of you. Uh, Prof, thank you very much. Ernest, thank you very much as well. All of you who uh, connected, thank you very much. I mean, if you're joining us on uh, many social media platforms, let me quickly share a few before I, I wrap up here. And uh, this one says, the reason why Ghana and Africa are at these levels is that we are not conscious and of what we do from leadership to the citizens. Uh, our leaders are the biggest problem. If one person can convince several people to bring positive and negative change, for example, from President Rawlings, that should be the quality leaders that we need, he says. And uh, uh, there's a view here uh, from Guy Fox, uh, who sent us this one. And he, Guy says, a simple case, what, what, um, what we must understand when we speak, when we seek to compare ourselves to countries like Malaysia, Singapore, etc., is that those nations have a sense of self. In Ghana, however, we have no sense of self. Hence, we are where we are. And they are where they are, Guy says. That one. Um, uh, Albert says Nkrumah had his plans of industrialization. Those who overthrew him abandoned all his plans. Even the pictures were banned. Uh, they honored the coup maker by naming the gateway to Ghana after him, uh, he says. And the final one uh, before we go. I mean, this is a big shame. And what is Nana doing? What has come over him? Now we go to Chinese. Uh, the Galamsi war is lost. Truth be told, leadership is the biggest problem, he says. Those are your thoughts. Uh, more of these conversations as we approach 66 years. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.